um, I wanted to I wanted to start by um, by hoping that this shear will be a zechus for the three boys who are missing in Israel and anyone else who needs it, but especially these three boys, Yaakov Naftali ben Rachel Devora, and Gilad Michael ben Bat Galim, and Eyal ben Iris Teshura. They should be Hashem's will that they will come home quickly and healthy and safe and happy to their families. And um, I wanted to say a little to Hillam on on their behalf and in their merit. Um, Hi, good morning. And also to point out that when we're davening for somebody, right? So we're we are directly asking Hashem to protect them, that it should be his will, right? When we say, like, it should be your will, Hashem, so what we're really acknowledging is what we're trying to do always when we daven, especially with brachos, which is to recognize and throw a spotlight upon the fact that all of the reality that we see here is an expression of a spiritual reality. So I don't know if we use the example here, but Rabbi Tatz has spoken of it, so I'd be surprised, like, since I've heard him say it before, if I didn't say it at some point. Um, he compares, he says, the Torah is the blueprint of all of reality, right? Hashem looked at the Torah and through this created the world, which means that everything is encoded within these letters that are in the Torah. He says, but it's not that this is a book where you could look in and find out what the reality is, which is this world. It's that the way our world is, is like this because the Torah is what it is. Mm -hmm. And the marshal that he gives is to DNA. Mm -hmm. If you would look at somebody's DNA, and if you knew enough about, you know, which I would say now that's still, we're still only at the very beginnings of learning how to read DNA, but mm -hmm. if you knew enough about how to read DNA, you could look at these combinations of four or six different proteins in all different combinations. And you could look at them and say, ah, this person has blue eyes. This person has brown hair. This person is on the tall side, right? This person has a tendency to gain weight or not, right? This person will have, and, and you could see that. Now, the DNA does not look like a person. It doesn't have any blue or blue eyes or brown hair or hair. And yet, it really means you can read from the DNA what the reality of the person is. But there's more than that. The reason the person looks like that is because that's what the DNA is. Mm -hmm. The reason that the person, the DNA becomes expressed in the development of the human as blue eyes and brown hair and, and their general weight and their general height and, this, and their appearance and the size of their nose and the length of their ears, right, and the length of their beard or their... All these things are how the DNA becomes expressed in the person as they develop. 
but the source and the reason is the DNA, even though it doesn't look like the image of the person. And the physical world is an expression and a development of a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is the reason and the source behind it, even though at each level of the world, Asiya and Yetzira and Berea and Atzilas, it doesn't look the same. It is actually what we see in this world is all this pencil is a physical expression and embodiment of a spiritual reality, which isn't yellow and doesn't have an eraser on the end, and yet is somehow a spiritual reality that if you looked at it on a physical level, you would see the pencil. If you look at it on a spiritual level, you would see something else, something to do with communication, with rewritability, right? The ability to change. With, I don't know. I don't know the spiritual reality behind a pencil exactly. But this, I, this idea, the mashal of the DNA, is a really, really good comparison for us to be able to understand the idea of things expressing. So when we say Avraha, we're looking back up the channel like that letter Bays with the two levels and the, the vertical bar connecting them. We're looking back up that vertical pipeline and saying, really, all of this down here comes from up there, right? The letter Bays is like there's a top part and there's a bottom part. It's like the spiritual world and the physical world connected by that pipeline. So all the blessing that comes down that pipeline, it's really coming from that Shefa up there. When we say Yehi Ratzon, we're saying, may it be your will, because whatever is Hashem's will, that's what comes down the pipeline and then is expressed as the reality we live in. That focus, when we daven and when we say, please Hashem, may it be your will that these boys come home quickly and happily and not traumatized and healthy and well. When we say that, we're also saying that we recognize that what has happened is from you. This is an expression of your will now. It's not what we would, we, we'd like to encourage another will somehow, so to speak. But right, the changing, will is, who we are. the will that is, is Hashem's will. And this is how it's expressed. And what we hope is that through recognizing that, through tapping in and illuminating and, and really embracing the fact that this is Hashem's will, that therefore as our will and God, then our will becomes his will. Meaning now we, we embrace it. We say, well, this is your will, Hashem, therefore it's our will. But as our will and Hashem's will become more unified, then when we say, may it be your will, Hashem, for something else, well, since our will and his will are so aligned, then his will will align with our will. Now, I could not just say that. That's a mission in Perkeyavos. Make your will his will so that his will will be made your will, right? That's, that's what Perkeyavos says. It says that when we strive to the, to the extent that we are able to make whatever it's Hashem's will, that's what our will is. That means we have to will it. We have to actually want it just because Hashem wants it. Then the flip side is that Hashem's will is now aligned also with our will. Okay, so the miss, there's a missing link there though, right? Because the missing link is, yeah, but so now I say I want whatever you want, but now I want you want to what I want, so then, okay. So if you look at the Parsha, like, like what we were looking at last week, right? Where Moshe says, atah, three times. It's so intimate. 
Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's arguing on behalf of the Jewish people, so to speak, he's not really arguing, right? What he does is he, he says, Hashem, but your will, as expressed to us in the Torah, is that your name be made great in the world, that your will be recognized in the world, that what, everything that happens should be recognized, the whole world should recognize and acknowledge that Hashem is God. We know that's what it's all about. Therefore, through recognizing that this, this reality is an expression of your will, and yet we know that you have expressed, you have told us about a different aspect of your will, which we strive to, to make happen. So let's, then he plays it, he says, well, what will people think? Will this increase that core objective of will? which is Hashem's name be made great, or will it decrease it? Meaning, does Hashem have to, have to hide three boys from us for us to recognize that he's the source of everything? Or can we create a reality in our minds where we say, because of these boys, we are focusing more on you. We are focusing that you, Hashem, are the source of everything. And here's a scenario I can build out in my mind where you bring them back, not, not the Israeli army brings them back per se. Uh, we'd be very happy for them to be the messengers of that. That would be awesome. Not just that you bring them back. We already realize it's a miracle if they come back. We won't think, oh, hooray, powerful army. Hooray, I was going to say United Nations, but they're not even accepting there's possibly something going on, right? But, but in theory, right? Hooray, United Nations or America for putting pressure or something. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say that. Of course, we'll be grateful to people for the effort. We're going to say, this is a miracle. This is Hashem's hand doing it. Through the return of these boys, it will be so clear to us that Hashem's hand is behind all of this, that he is the source of everything. So we build out that scenario in our minds. That becomes our will, but it's our will which is hopefully his will, and now his will becomes also our will. That I think, I believe that is the missing piece mm -hmm. between that step between make your will his will so that he'll make his will your will. Which is, that happens once your will is really his will. Not only for a specific thing, also, but in addition, on the big picture of what Hashem has told us is his will. Which is, that his name should be made great in the world. So with that in mind, Shir Lama'alos Esso Enai El Heharim Me'ayin Yavo Ezri. Our hope does not come from the mountains. Ezri Me'im Adonai Osei Shamayim Va'aretz. My help comes from God who makes heaven and earth. This is what it means, right? I lift my eyes to the mountains. That is not where my help comes from. Oh, I never understood that. I yeah. thought it was from where, my translation says, from where comes my help. Right. It's one way of understanding it. Ayin also like means not. Better. It's not. Say okay. Again. I lift my eyes to the mountains. May Ayin, from where not, my help will come. Okay, so you could understand it two ways. The, the common way is from whence comes my help, meaning like Hashem's Kedusha comes to the world, through the Beis HaMikdash, through the Makom HaMikdash, which is embraced and surrounded by mountains, right? But it's uh, certainly very simple pshat to say, 
I lift my eyes up to the hills from where not my, my help comes. That's not where my help comes from. Where do you get the nut? Ayin. It means like ain. There is not. Like yesh and ain. Ayin means it's not. It's actually probably the simpler explanation of the... It's with an alaf, not an ayin. Yeah. Okay. The question is how people explain it another way, but I would assume that that's like me'ana. Me'ana lehinachem. From where will I get help from? Ana is like where. So then I assume that that's the correspondence here with ayin because it's difficult to understand. Okay. Ezri me'im Adonai osei shamayim va'aretz. My help comes from with God, who is the maker of heavens and earth. Al yitain lamot raglecha, al yanum shomrecha. He will not give your feet to stumble. He will not give your guardians to slumber. Hine lo yanum velo yishan shomer Yisrael. Behold, he does not slumber nor does he sleep, the guardian of Israel. Adonai shomrecha, Adonai tzilcha al yad yeminecha. God is your guardian. God shadows your right hand. Yomam Hashemesh lo yakeka ve'oreach balayla. By day the sun shall not cease, nor the moon by night. Adonai yishmarcha mikol ra, yishmar esnafshacha. God will guard you from all that is bad or wicked. He will guard your soul. Adonai yishmar tseischa uvoecha me'atave adolam. God will guard your leavings and your comings back from now and until eternity. Shir ha-ma'alos mima'amokim kirasicha Adonai. A song of ascents from the depths I call to you, Hashem. Adonai, shima v'koli tiyena oznecha kashuvos l'kol tachanunai. God, hear my voice. May your ears be attuned to the sound of my pleading. Im avonos tishmarya Adonai miyamod. If you will guard and pay attention to sins, God, who could stand? Ki imcha haslicha l'ma'antivore. Because with you alone is forgiveness, in order that we should have awe of you. Ki visi Adonai kivsa nafshi velidvaro hochalti. I have yearned, Hashem, my soul yearns, and for your words I am aspiring. Nafshi l'adonai mishomrim laboker shomrim laboker. My soul is for God, more than for those who guard for the daylight and wait and guard for daylight. Yachel Yisrael el Adonai, ki im Adonai hachesed veharbe imo fedus. Israel yearns for God because with God is chesed and he has many ways to, sal- to save us. Vehu yifte es Yisrael mikol avonosav. And he will save Israel from the consequences of all of its sins. So we've been talking about the second paragraph of Shema. And specifically, to love Hashem with all of your hearts and all of your souls. If you will, listen to Hashem, listen to all the mitzvahs which he commands us today, to love him with all our hearts and all our souls. So love him with all of our hearts, 
Rashi says, Avoda shehi balev zohi tefillah. How do you serve God with your heart? This is where we're up to, right? <laughs> How do you serve God with your heart? See, you could serve God with your money by maybe contributing money or serve God with your carbonos by... How do you serve God with a heart? And by the way, we could even understand serve God with your soul by giving up your soul to him. But how do you give up your heart to him? Right? So Rashi quotes, Avoda The avoda that is in the heart, this is tefillah. This is prayer. Tefillah is called avoda, as it says about Daniel, the God whom you have served faithfully or steadily. And what was the service that Daniel used to do is described right there in the Psukkim that he would turn to the window and face Jerusalem and pray. And that's described as the way that you plach, that you served. That's the plach is the Aramaic equivalent of avad, of, of avoda. Chiesh pulchan bevavel, like what service did he do in Bavel, right? What, what do you mean service? He was no beis in Bavel. Ella al shahayamispalal, as it says, v'chivim psichanle. That he would daven, as it says, he would he would direct his his himself out the window, and he would pray to Hashem. Also with David, there's a pasuk in Tehillim that says this is actually a half of a pasuk here that Rashi quoted, Tikon Tefilasi, the arrangement of my prayers, Ktores Lefanecha, are incense before you. I don't know, do you remember that back in Shemos, when we learned about on the Parsha Shir, and we talked about the Mishkan, and we had this, Rav Hirsch asked a question, it might have been in Tetzave, but I don't remember, Rav Hirsch asked the question, the, the, the building of the Mishkan was described with the Kalim, it started with the Aron, and then it worked its way outward, and then all of a sudden it ended with the Mizbeach HaKatoras, which actually faces directly to the Aron. Is that right? Yeah, the Mizbeach HaKatoras, the Mizbeach HaZahav was like listed last. Was it the other way around? It was listed last. I think and everything else was in order, starting with the Aron and working out. And then last of all, it had the Mizbeach HaKatoras, the golden Mizbeach for incense, which, was actu which is actually the one that's all the way in the Heichal directly facing the Aron. And Rav Hirsch said that this is because that is the culmination of the avoda, is to be directly facing the Aron. And that that pulls together, it, it both unites, because on one side you have the menorah, on the other side you have the shulchan, and this Mizbeach is in the middle. So it kind of brings together the intellectual side and the physical, the, the shulchan represents the bread and the parnasa and that kind of work brings those together and, and hones them, you know, focuses them like a laser toward the middle. And it also is the progression. It's the ultimate progression of all the avoda outside is to get to this Mizbeach HaKatoras. And David HaMelech says, Tikon Tefilasi, the arrangement of my prayers, which, by the way, given the way what we've learned about the arrangement of prayers, that it mirrors the map mm -hmm. of the temple, makes even more sense. Ketores Lefanecha. Is Ketores before you? When we daven, we actually can reach the peak of our avoda in the davening. So this is another, this Rashi is bringing that as another example of how we know that serving God with all of our hearts, that's prayer. Okay, and Rashi asks, Didn't the Torah already warn us 
Didn't it already tell us you should serve Hashem with all your heart and all your soul? In the first paragraph of Shema. Ella azhar yachid, azhar But that first one, that's a commandment for the individual. And over here, it's a commandment for the community. So Rav Hirsch points out that when you say ulaavdo be, ulaavdo to serve him, bichol levavchem uvichol nafshechem, that prefix of the bays. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Welcome back. You. you look like you need a tissue. Hello. That bays in the beginning can mean one of two things, or it can mean two of two things. I shouldn't say one of two things. It can mean two of two things. It can mean serving on an object. In other words, carrying out somebody's will on something. So caring for it and arranging it according to his will. Or the bit in front could mean the service is rendered with something, using the thing as the means for accomplishing what the person desired. Meaning somebody says, could you take care of my car? Then you could say, Right? You could serve him through means of caring for the object which he wishes you to care for. Or, if the person needs to be picked up and brought somewhere, you could serve him with the car by using the car to perform the service that the... Using the car as the means to achieve the service that the one, other person desires. Mm -hmm. Okay, which are not identical. One the will of, of the other one is accomplished upon the object described with the but. And in the other, the will of the person is accomplished through use of the object described with the but. That bays in front. So Rav Hirsch, in, in pointing out this nuance, because the prefix has two different ways, it can be played out, so Rav Hirsch says we have to realize then that when we say ulaavdo bechol levavchem, you should serve Hashem bechol levavchem with all of your hearts. We have been understanding that to mean serve Hashem's will through the vehicle of using your heart to achieve His will. That's like giving the person a ride with the car. Mm -hmm. His will doesn't involve the car. That's just the means for achieving the will of the transportation. Mm -hmm. Rav Hirsch is saying, yeah, that's, that's true, but there's another meaning of bechol which is where you achieve the will upon the object described with the bih. In other words, we serve Hashem upon our hearts, bechol When we serve Hashem, it has to act upon our hearts. 
That is the fulfillment of his will upon the object that's being described. So tefillah, prayer, zohi tefillah, Rashi said, this is prayer, right? It's a quote from Tinus, means to work upon yourself, upon your heart. The la'avdo bechol means you should serve him upon your heart. The penetration of one's whole being with enlightening thoughts and ennobling feelings. The purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring inner being of man to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and of his benevolence. I'm going to read it again. I'll probably read it twice more at least. <laughs> being reverse, you have to let it sink in. And there's a lot of levels it works on. I don't understand exactly how a human being wrote this parish and in such modern times. It makes you realize, you know, if Rav Hirsch could write what he wrote, then the depths of something like a, like a Rashi, who's a thousand years earlier, right? Or, or a Navi, even before we start talking about the influence of actual prophecy, just the brilliance you know, just to be able to realize that a person within not quite living history, but not much further, you can link back to the time of Rav Hirsch in three generations. You know, somebody you know who's old, who knew somebody else who lived to be old, who knew somebody else, and you're already some, by somebody who knew Rabbi Hirsch. It's really recent to be able to do this. The purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring inner being of man to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and his benevolence. Now I want to read it again, just injecting everything that we've learned, which is not close to what Rav Hirsch knew, that the purpose of tefillah is elevation of the thinking, i.e. the mind, which corresponds to Shema, feeling, i.e. the emotion or the heart, which corresponds to Suke de Zimra, and desiring inner being of man, which the desire corresponds to the physical, corresponds to the zone of brachos, of blessings. In other words, you start here, and you harness this, and you carry along the heart, which you worked on already in Pesuket de Zimra, and with that you harness and carry along the body, which you worked on in the brachos, and you've got them all three together now to a state of being worthy of getting near to God. That's atzilos. Atzilos means nearness, which corresponds to Shrona Esrei, and of his benevolence, meaning his shefa. Right? His benevolence meaning his chesed. That's the outpouring of shefa to the world. I mean, this is a s one sentence from Rav Hirsch. That, but only if you, if you know all of that background, which we only have touched the tip of the iceberg of. We barely know anything about those things. We just know they exist. And he uses that as, I mean, it's, it's clear if you know that, that that's the baseline of that, of that sentence. That's what that sentence is talking about. That's one sentence. I don't, like, you know. And yet, you can just read it and just be uplifted and inspired by the words. You don't have to know. You know, with Rav Hirsch, he, you don't have to know all that background to be able to take what he just said and apply it and utilize it and create the, the mitzvah and the will as it was meant to be done. 
He has explained it to us. Without all of that, you have to... Put, now, it's not, it didn't fully give us the instructions as to how you do it, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. that's a really, really clear statement. I'm just going to continue. What the offerings were to accomplish by their symbolic procedure, in other words, giving up all obstinacy and self-will, one's whole being accepting the directing force of the sanctuary of the Torah. It sounds familiar. It sounds like Shema, right? Mm-hmm. Giving up one's self-will, that's Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. The directing force of the sanctuary of Torah sounds a lot like Kabbalah's al mitzvos. One's whole being striving upward to the heights pointed to by the Torah. By the way, he corresponds them to different kinds of korbanos. I didn't even read you that because there's only so many layers at once. right? And keeping at that lofty level, giving up all of one's spiritual and material gifts and possessions to the purifying and stimulating fire of the Torah, to be fuel for keeping godliness alive on earth and rendering everything earthly into something which gives satisfaction to God. That's the reach nichoach l'ashem, which is what rises from the Mizbeach HaKatoras. All of this is exactly what the words of tefillah are to accomplish on our inner being. He just wrapped up all of our davening and said that the purpose of all of this davening is to direct our feelings, our actions, our taivas, our intellect, and align them all with God's will, even in place of our own will, to be able to give everything he has given us and use it as fuel to make ourselves the fuel for bringing godliness into the world. The words of tefillah accomplish this and achieve it upon our hearts. That's u'avdo b'chol u'v'chol nafshechem. Not just using your heart and your soul for him. Mm-hmm. It has to act upon your heart and your soul. I really feel like I should just stop there. You can't top that. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from there. <laughs> that is the peak. It takes a long time to contemplate. More or less. It takes a long time to contemplate. We could read it again. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> should we read one more time? Yeah. Okay. It does. It's a lot of, you know, I don't know. I think somebody could do a sheer on Rav Hirsch you would only be able to tackle one to two sentences at a time. Which makes you wonder how we so cavalierly flip through a Chumash. Or a Navi. Yeah, but I'm saying, like, we're, which, is, which is far more condensed with many more layers than what Rav Hirsch, with all of his encyclopedic knowledge, chose to sample out for us. Mm-hmm. I'm using this as an example because Rav Hirsch's writings, in some ways, is so accessible to us. Because they were written in German, they weren't written in Hebrew, so the translation to English doesn't lose. You know, it was written by people who were close to his studies, and so it was translated by people very close to his, his way. They were completely raised in that, that approach. So it's with great knowledge that these translations were done, and they're based on a much more similar language mm-hmm. to English. And so it becomes so much more accessible, and yet it's still so profound mm-hmm. that we have to say, like, what happens when you go farther back up the chain of Masora? It, it's literally not comprehensible. Rav Hirsch, 
Rav Hirsch is, I, I've said this many times, and I guess I'll just say it again, I think he's the most underestimated parish on, it's not even only on Chumash, on, on Judaism. Because his, his knowledge was literally so encyclopedic, he'll make a statement and it encompasses all of, all of Tanakh and all of Shas before he came to make the statement. And, you know, if that's what somebody could do in the 1800s, Somebody could do so recently. It, I, I believe we need to, to use this as an accessible lesson in humility. It's an accessible lesson in humility. Because I would be afraid if Rav Hirsch said something to say, you know, I just don't see that. I, I don't. I would be like, well, okay, so I don't see it. But he has, he has proven himself to me over and over and over and over again. And the more I learn, the more I discover that Rav Hirsch took it into account. And he's, I hate to say it, he's just Rabbi Hirsch. He's only in the 1800s. He's in the modern era. Mm -hmm. And even so, I would, be, I would be scared to have any disagreement with Rav Hirsch because that would make me look pretty foolish. The odds of my finding an error in Reverse's thinking are exceedingly small, are vanishingly small, to the point where if I thought I found a mistake, I would probably have to spend a few years going around to people who know more than me, trying to see if we could make sense of it, because I would have to assume that if there's a mistake, it's me. Not because I don't trust myself, but my trust in his knowledge is much greater than my trust in my own knowledge. So now when I look back and I see, you know, a, a Rashi, or I see a Tosfos that I don't understand, I say, well, you know, I don't, that Tosfos, you know, I, he probably didn't know how things are nowadays. Like, so, sorry? I would have, that, I don't think I'm likely, real, unfortunately, I don't think I'm likely to ever have enough of a base of Torah knowledge behind me to be able to make a comment like that without just branding myself a fool. A person who stands up who doesn't know anything and who says, no, you're wrong because I don't get it, basically shows that they're a fool. It doesn't, sh it doesn't show your intelligence. And so when you go even further back and you say, well, Chazal said such and such a statement. And then it's like, well, no, but I don't, you know, that doesn't correspond with what I know. And I, I know I've shared examples like this before, you know, with, um, with the, the river that spits rock for example, right? Like, just because I don't know about it, so therefore it's not, Chazal said it, but yeah, but I don't, you know, what? Like, <laughs> I know, certainly, that they know a lot more than I know. So maybe I shouldn't be so quick to think that everything I know re represents the body of all knowledge. Not to mention that Chazal were really picky about what they passed along. So that any one one Tana or Amora makes a statement and that it's not just contradicted or even left out completely and not appear. The fact that it got into a Mishnah or got into a Gemara means that a lot of other very great people had a consensus that this needed to be continued knowledge. It needed to be passed along for all generations. Otherwise, it wouldn't be included. So I have to assume and I, you know, it's like taking something that's so big and now we're going to look at Rav Hirsch and I don't, 
I don't mean to make Rav Hirsch small, but it's fair to say that according to Jewish tradition, we understand that as the generations go on, although we're building knowledge onto an ever-increasing knowledge base, kind of, a lot gets lost in difficult times, right? But the size of ourselves is getting smaller. Our capacities are reducing. Okay, I don't think you know. I don't think Rav Hirsch would claim that he is like close to a Chazal. So this, all I can do is look at something that's somewhat more accessible and say, if I saw something in Rav Hirsch that really struck me wrong, I would assume I have to work on understanding why he said it to figure out what I missed. I would not assume that he missed what I saw. I would assume that I missed what he saw. That would be the rational and intelligent thing to assume. Not because I don't trust my knowledge, but because I trust his even more. And if I want to learn and know more, then the way to do that is not to say, what I know is what everyone needs to fit, but to say, what somebody who knows more than me is what I want to grow into as best as I can. Okay. The purpose of tefillah. Tefillah means to work on oneself. The penetration of one's whole being with enlightening thoughts and ennobling feelings. I guess that was the short form. The purpose of tefillah is the elevation of the thinking, feeling, and desiring inner being of a man to a state of being worthy of getting near to God and his benevolence. What the offerings were to accomplish by their symbolic procedure, giving up all obstinacy and self-will, one's whole being accepting the directing force of the sanctuary of the Torah, one's whole being striving upwards to the heights pointed to by the Torah, and keeping at that lofty level, giving up <coughs> one's spiritual and material gifts and possessions to the purifying and stimulating fire of the Torah. <coughs> to be fuel for keeping godliness alive on earth and rendering everything earthly into something which gives satisfaction to God. All this is exactly what the words of tefillah are to accomplish on our inner being. to get near, but he also walked through all the carbonos from the outside of the Azara right through into the Katoras. He, like, accepting the directing force of the sanctuary of the Torah is the Shrita. One's whole being striving upwards to the heights pointed to by Torah is the Ola. Keeping at the lofty level is the Chatas. Each one really moves up until you get to the, I only mentioned the Reach Nechoach Lashem, which goes to the Mizbeach Azav, because we had had Rashi bring which is, again, surely the source of what Rav Hirsch just said, Tikon tefillah si ketores lefanecha. The arrangement of my tefillah shall be the ketores before you. You can see how that statement is the source of that. Okay, yeah. 
It makes it harder for ourselves to achieve it, that's all. Yeah. If you can't, when you can't daven consecutively, mm-hmm. so it's harder because even if you achieved, let's say, what you, uh, the state of mind for brachos, like if you, if you had a good brachos, but then if you go do something else, when you come back from Suke de Zimra, it's harder because you, you have to sort of recover where you were with brachos in your mind to be able to build on it. So it's, it's definitely more challenging. That's why sometimes you, you end up davening a little bit of everything. You have to find what will work. It's not, it's not necessarily easier. Um, so I saw something very interesting. I, I think I want to share it, even though I can't say I completely understand all of it. Again, because it's from the Siddur HaGra, and I don't have like a, a Rebbe in Gra, which is what you would need in Vilnagon. Um, but he, he, he says this, and this is something that I suspect that once I mention that the Vilna Gon points it out, you'll say, you know, I always did kind of notice that, I just didn't know what to make of it, which is this. You have... in the first paragraph of Shema, that the words of Torah should be on your heart and you should speak of them. B'shivtecha b'veisecha uv'lechtecha v'aderech uv'shachbecha uv'kumecha u'kshartam la'os al-yadecha v'hayu l'totafos b'neinecha I'm sorry u'ksavtam al-mezuzos b'secha v'sharecha he doesn't count. He doesn't count yodecha and inecha. He counts b'shivtecha. You're sitting b'veisecha in your house. Uvelechtecha, walking v'aderech uveshachbecha, laying down uvkumecha, and then the mezuzos of the beisecha and bisharecha. As seven words that are seven. Seven words ending in cha, in the chafsofis that are, like, what you're acting upon. Can you say them again? Shivtecha, Beveisecha, Uvlechtecha, Uveshachbecha, Uvkumecha, Beisecha, Uvisharecha. Okay. And in the second paragraph of Shema, you have... Now, I don't know. There are other words ending in chafzofis. I don't know exactly why he chose those. You have levavchem, right? Bechol levavchem, uvechol nafshechem. And then you have, sorry, then it jumps down to, actually, it might be referring to the end of the paragraph, not this levavchem, nafshechem. I'm sure it's not. Vesamtem estevorai eile. So I'm really bringing this in the wrong place. But now that we started, I won't leave you dangling. You shall tie them as a sign on your hands. It should be totafos between your eyes. 
Vilimaditem, and you shall teach them. Benechem to your children. Again, I don't understand exactly why they're not always the same word mm-hmm. on the same conjugation that he seems to have chosen out. Mm-hmm. But he says, you have a seven for seven. You have seven words ending in mem sophies, seven words ending in chaf sophies. And that is because the chaf sophies represents rachamim, and the mem sophies represents din, or gevura. Or what he says, rachamim and din, also chesed and gevura. The chaf sophies being the chesed. So one way of understanding is the word chaf means the, like a palm of a hand. And the chaf sophis is an extended palm. As opposed to the regular chaf, which is bent, the chaf sophis is an extended palm. So that's an aspect of chesed. Mem sophis is closed. It's a closed letter. It's like a square, right? So that represents din, represents the earth, like a makom. He says, he brings what I believe is a Zohar in Parshas Yisro that says that Hashem will open the mem and make it a chaf, will open the mem sophis and turn it into a chaf. Yeah, like there's all these interesting things I just don't perfectly, He's right? He's that from what? The Zohar, the Zohar HaChadash. And he says that's why the chapter of Ve'ahavta has a preponderance of chaf sofits because it's related to the world of chesed. And the chapter of Hayim Shamoa has a preponderance of mem sofis because it represents gvura and midas hadin and schar and onesh. Okay. I'll move that. It really goes elsewhere, doesn't it? It went to the other Levavchem and Avshchem, not to this one. Sorry about that. Okay, Rav Schwab says, and this is something we've now heard a lot about in Mayan Beis HaShoeva, to serve Hashem b'chol nafshechem with all your soul, not for your own nefesh, not for your own chios, your own life, your own vitality. Serve him in order that that his name be made greater and amplified and sanctified in the world. To sanctify Hashem's name, meaning, we've said many times, what does it mean, a name of Hashem? It's a representation it's a, uh, an expression which teaches us that we should interact with some manner in which God interacts with the world. That's what an, the name represents over there. So that's what we're amplifying, that Hashem is interacting with the world. When we're making His name great, Kiddush Hashem, what we're doing is magnifying, amplifying, highlighting, emphasizing, making clear within the world even if it's just in our own personal space, that Hashem is the one interacting with the world, which is where we started when we talked about saying Tehillim and Davening, right? There's two kinds of avoda. There's serving Hashem 
with your heart and your soul, levavo uvenafsho, and they're serving Hashem with your heart and your soul, and also me'odo, with also your effort. Because it's kind of striking here that here you have ulavdo b'chol levavchem but in the first paragraph it said ulavdo b'chol levavcha uvechol nafshecha uvechol me'odecha. It said also with all your effort. Yeah, in the first paragraph of Shema it said serve Hashem with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might, or all your effort. And in this paragraph it says serve Hashem with all your heart and all your soul. It doesn't say with all your might. So the Vilnagon says, the first paragraph is talking to the individual. He can, any particular individual can strive to achieve all three. But to a community, to a group, you can't say serve with all your effort. Because some will and some won't. As it says, many have done like Rabbi Shimon and, and have not succeeded. Many have done like Rabbi Yishmael and have succeeded. So I saw a very nice passage on that. This is from a book. I'm so excited. I got a whole bunch more volumes of this called Siddur HaGeonim V'Hamekubalim V'Achasidim by Yair Weinstock. And he doesn't so much add anything as much as assemble together a lot of different information. So he starts by, by quoting, right, that Gemara in Brachos, Tanu Rabbanan, Amar Abaye, right, there's the whole thing of Rabbi Shimon versus, you know, how are you supposed to serve Hashem only Torah or Torah and Derech Eretz. Many, Abaye said, many did like Rabbi Yishmol, the al Sabiyadom, and it came up in their hands. It worked. Right? We, we've learned it other ways, but the simple thing is they were successful. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, many did like Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, and they were not successful. They couldn't pull it off. Okay. Okay. Now, the question is, what goes wrong if they're trying to do like Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai and they can't succeed? So he quotes... From, it says the will of Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, I mean the Baal Shem Tov, right? The famous Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. I don't know if this is a will. It's probably an ethical will. What does it mean that many did like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and couldn't succeed? He says what it means is that many people wanted to make themselves like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They wanted to reach the level of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That's the reason they couldn't succeed. Because their intention was not completely they want to be a nachas ruach to their creator. That wasn't... It's not that I'm trying to make Hashem happy with me. I want to completely dedicate myself to him. It's that they wanted to reach a certain level. They wanted to be like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. So then, then this is uh, Yair Weinstock, quotes a sefer called Otsar Achayim on Parshas Vechu Kosai, where it says that I heard from my teacher, the great tzaddik, Rav Avra Mordechai Mi Pinchov, who told me in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. So now we're back to a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov, just a different source, right? that once he saw a big tzaddik, 
the Baal Shem Tov saw somebody who was a tzaddik and was known to be a tzaddik. And the Baal Shem Tov said, in the world of truth, they're laughing at him. This is a very Hasidic story, right? So you don't hear many of these from me. Because this tzaddik, who was so wondrous in his righteousness and in his precious, like his separation from all luxuries, right? And even in afflicting himself. But there was mixed into his intentions a little bit that he was hoping to merit to have Ruach HaKodesh. So like working your way through Mesilas Yesharim with the goal of achieving Ruach HaKodesh, as opposed to working your way through Mesilas Yesharim with the goal of, of becoming a more righteous person, right? Being a pleasure to Hashem. This person was hoping that by afflicting themselves and separating from luxuries and, and being very righteous, Somewhere inside of them, there was the idea that they wanted to have Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. They wanted to have a degree of prophecy. They'll become great enough, they'll have like a, it's not really prophecy, prophecy, but a sort of an influence, a prophetic influence. And because of this very slight kavana, this is kavana dakazo, this, this very thin little bit, mixed in with all kinds of good intention, a lot of good intention, and it's not right, it's like, oh my goodness, if only we would be focused on that, right? Like that would still be better than the things we focus on. But it wasn't purely L'Shem Shemayim. There's an element of self, what's the word? Self-fulfillment, yeah. Yeah, selfishness, it's a self, yeah, ego. It's wanting something for oneself which makes it not 100% for the sake of heaven. Okay, now, are we acting 100% for the sake of heaven? No, I'm not saying like, oh, haha, we're laughing at this tzaddik. He said in heaven they're laughing at the tzaddik. Not, okay, we don't have to laugh at him. It would, be, it would be a level to be able to pick on one particular small kavana that we had that was a problem and know what to work on. Right? We've got all kinds of messes going on in our minds. But because of this small sort of foreign kavana in his mind. His deeds, when they went to heaven, because every, every action we make makes a permanent malach, an angel in heaven, and they would laugh at him. They were laughing at him down there because they knew that underlying all of this righteousness, there's really, someday I hope I'll have Ruach HaKodesh. And that through this very small fault, he could completely lose the level of Kedusha that he's otherwise attaining. Right? It won't, he thinks, and he's aspiring to attain such a high level of Kedusha, but it won't have that Kedusha to it because it's coming from a desire for self. And then he brings a third source that says that, that the Baal Shem Tov, like, that you also see the Zechus, that this person had because the Baal Shem Tov came and he was able to recognize this and help him so that he wouldn't lose what he had worked so hard to achieve. And the Baal Shem Tov was probably so good at that. He was hidden for so many so much time. So this, you know, it's also like, this, that's like sort of the happy ending is that somebody great came, somebody great was able to see where the flaw was and direct him so that he could, he could fix it. And the assumption is that he could so fix it. So it sounds like somebody was working towards the reward. 
instead of the actual process. No, also the tingling of being able to be close to Hashem and have a certain power. That's what it seems like, even more than a reward. Because I'm not sure Ruach HaKodesh is a reward. It seems like a very nice thing. I'm just not sure it's a reward. But if that's what you really, really want, receiving what yeah, you want. Yeah, but you wouldn't really, really want. That's in this world. I'm saying that would be that would be terrible. Right. Like, I think it's more of an outcome than a. I, I, the reason I say it is because it's also brought us this parallel with Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. They wanted to be like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. I think it is a certain kind of kavod, a certain drive for kavod in this world. That's meant by the having Ruach HaKodesh. Now, I don't know if they're saying that this person, this tzaddik, had like a secret desire that people would know he had Ruach HaKodesh and say, oh, him? He's such a tzaddik? That's what they say already. And they'll say, oh, he has Ruach HaKodesh. I don't know if it was that or if it was just the covet of himself knowing it. Could be himself just to know, I'm, I'm a person with Ruach HaKodesh, right? I don't know. There's some kind of tinge of covet or gaiva there, I think, that's maybe the focus even more than reward. And that, that is a, a closer parallel to that idea also of like wanting, I want to be like a Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Like, that's not, I mean, we know intellectually that's not how we grow. We want to be whoever we are created to be. So that, wanting to be like Rabbi Shimon, like people will look at me and they'll think, oh, he's like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. He's like that kind of person. He's very holy, ascetic. That wasn't what the person was aiming for. But I think the person it was seems also like. aiming for that kind of hitting the soul, having the capacity yeah. to uncover things that people It's a don't. sense of power. Yeah. It is definitely a power trip. It's, it seems like it. That's what it sounds like. And it sounds like it was just a very small piece of themselves. You know, maybe they weren't even so aware of it, that that was the motivation. That, that happens a lot, by the way. When we're motivated by gaiva, it could take a lot of different guises. It's very easy not to recognize something as gaiva. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like, there's so many things where we think, but, but I have to take responsibility, or I have a duty, or what will people say if somebody like me acts like that? Like, there's so many ways where something that could be the right action could still be tainted by a motivation that has gaiva in it. And partly it's just like the way you said it, because each of those phrases started with I. It didn't say, you know, right. What is Hashem there, asking? There, there is a responsibility. This needs to be done. Right. I need to do it. I need to do it. All of a sudden, I have to do it. God, God can't take care of it if I don't take care of it. It's a higher level of gaiva than just saying I'm the most important person. Everyone has to do what I say. But it's a very difficult thing to get clear of completely. Okay. And that perhaps brings us to this idea of that the Nitziv says, he says, How do you serve God with all your, your soul? With all of your rutzon, because the soul ties into your taiva, right? Your nefesh is that which animates your body. So that ties into your taiva. So if all the rutzon gamur, with complete will, im kol with all your will, He's saying, with, that's, that's how the Nitziv explains it. He says, think of it as all your will, like all your taiva, all your desire. That which you want is really to serve Hashem. 
And you could say, based on the Rambam in Shemona Prakam, who talks about the different parts of soul, the different levels of soul, with all the parts of your soul, and the nefesh, and your ruach, and your neshama, that you should serve Hashem with all the parts of your soul. Okay. Do we have time for one more thing? Anybody have to run? It's, it's, <laughs> it's 17. Well, I would like to do it just because I know I, I'm not going to be teaching over the summer. So let me pull out... And he's asking the same, he's answering on the same question, which is basically why does it say, um, why does it say this second paragraph, serve Hashem with all your heart and all your soul, and it doesn't say with all your might? If you listen to the Yashan, he quotes the Rashi, right? Piresh Rashi. Im tishmu b'yashan, tishmu b'chadash. If you listen to the old, you'll listen to the new. Meaning if you start listening, then you can continue listening. This is on the double, the double language of Shamoa tishmu. Kikach amru razal, as Chazal have taught us, sheschar mitzvah, mitzvah. That the reward for a mitzvah is another mitzvah. I mean, the main thing that you get out of doing a mitzvah is that you'll be able to do another one. One brings another one. So now he took, a, he took the phrase mitzvah goreres mitzvah, that one mitzvah tows along another mitzvah, each one brings another along, and he translates that to shmiya goreres shmiya. One listening brings along the next listening, causes the next one. So you go from the first to the next. And in that the verse says, with all your heart and all your soul, but it doesn't say with all your might. You can understand that by seeing what meant the first time. Then you can understand why it's not said now. What did it say over there? You remember what Rashi said about with all your might? Mm -hmm. He said it's all your money. Why would the Torah have to tell you serve Hashem with all your heart, all your soul, and all your money? Meaning once it's all your heart and all your soul, what did all your money add? Because there are some people who value their money even more than, than their lives. Right? We learned that on Ubechom Hildechom. And now the way he says yesh lecha adam, there is such a thing as a person. Shamashma matsui. We understand from the, the language that Rashi used, there is such a thing as a person who values his money more than his life, that this is not a frequent finding. There's a low matsui. It's not like the most common thing. He's saying it exists. There is such a thing as a person. Like you might not have realized that because probably most people you know are not like this. Right? If they were held up at gunpoint, your money or your life, they would just hand over the money. Unlike Jack Benny, who's not sure, right? But there is such a thing as somebody who doesn't. 
Okay. Ki'im ba'adam echad umasei mispar shebit lo daitam etzal kol adam aval lo b'tzibur lo shkiach adavar shirabim yaskimu aldea nifsida zo. He says, you don't need, the Torah doesn't need to now say to the community in plural, all your hearts, all your souls, and all your might, meaning your money. Because the number, the percentage of people who will value their money over their lives is small. And therefore, to the degree that you're talking to a community as a whole, they're not going, the majority will not go along with this thing. Like if something came to threaten the community, pay up or we'll kill you all, then the fact that there's a couple misers in the town who would rather die than give up their money is not going to influence the whole community not to just give up the money, hmm. right? So you'd serve Hashem with your money. So you don't have to tell the plurality of people that they should value Hashem with their money even if they don't you know, value their lives. Well, if, which is, by the way, a very helpful insight, right? That all of a sudden does make it clearer, and it supports that first interpretation of Now, there was another explanation that Rashi told us about which we learned about, which was with every measure that he measures out to you, you should, right, you should serve him. Right? Whether Hashem does good or does bad. Keshem shem evarchem al ha-tov, mevarchem al ha-ra. Bechomida shehumodeid lecha. Whatever measure he measures out. Whether it's for the bad or for the good. Hare parshazo medaberes mizman kabbalah schar. Vehu eis dodim. Ein shaychus ha-bracha sh'al ha-ra lekan. Ki ina kafi ha-zman asher hu omed bo. So he says, so, uh, and if we understand according to that other explanation that it's thank God for whatever he gives you whether it is the good or the bad he says over here it's not really relevant because this piece of the Hayyim Shema is talking about when it's good when you listen to Hashem and he sends you the rain and so that's not relevant to then talk about whether he sends you good or bad because we're talking about when he's sending you good so that's the second explanation it's also very nice the Odinera, furthermore, it seems, Sheint Sorak Lo Markan, Shiavoroshem Behomida Shuhumode Lo, Afilop is man Kabbalah's hara. It doesn't seem that it's necessary to say here that a person should serve Hashem according to whatever God measures out to him, even in accepting that which is bad. Lefisha Davarza Kar Amarhu, Beparsha Zo. Because we already talk about it in this parsha, I don't need to say it twice. Where does it say it in this parsha? In this paragraph, it says, mehera al hatova." Right? You will be destroyed quickly from off the land, which has, the good land, Asher Hashem lachem, which God has given to you. And then it says, And put these things upon your heart and on your souls. In other words, even when Hashem is saying, you will be destroyed from off the land in punishment for sins, you're still being told, place it on your heart, put the Torah on your heart. 
So it's not necessary, once the Torah is going to say that, to introduce it by saying, because that's what it would mean. We've already, we're already talking about it, which is an awesome way of understanding the Lomar, which means to say, even at the time when we will be like lost sheep, we call makom lost from anywhere, nowhere to, to call a haven, and we're just wandering like sheep that have been driven out from the pasture or from the fold. In any case, we will still serve Hashem, no matter what. And place his words upon our hearts. That's what Rashi said. So now this idea has already been stated explicitly. So it's not necessary to say and hint to it. It's already said explicitly. This chapter, this paragraph is said in the plural. Except for the part about you'll gather up your grain. Because it says like this, you shall serve Hashem your God. And he will bless your bread. Which the Rishonim have explained. Serving Hashem is better in a group. As it says, God will not despise the service of the group. That's one of the foundations of davening with a minion, right? Is that even if your davening isn't very good, just the fact that it's part of the group, part of the minion, is acquired like a spider web while I'm talking. It means I've been sitting here too long, I guess. Aval ha'achila tova yoter kol echad ochel pito levado. But eating is better when each person can eat himself. <laughs> Which is a funny statement, right? After all this profundity, like, what? <laughs> Serving Hashem is better in a group. Eating is enjoyed better alone. Huh. Why? Because when a person starts to have, he's not saying you shouldn't eat with anyone else, but too much eating together becomes like, let's party. Who can we hang out with? Who can we be, right? It's like, I can't eat by myself. I need to go find people to spend time with. And then it becomes like a lot of maybe levity, which then becomes maybe mockery because everyone's trying to be funny and get the group going, a lot of wasted time, a lot of loss of focus. So it says here, serve him with all your hearts. But then collect your grain, like bring in your harvest, that's for the individual. It's better when each person can gather in his own. As it says, and, it, and it's best when a person, there's like something to be said for, for the alone time. As it says, as when you sit in your home, and when you lay down and when you get up, those are not things that are best done in groups, in public. Right, sitting, eating these things. This, it's interesting comment he's making, though. Yeah. Right, this idea that that you need both. You need the personal place for avoda, like in the home, 
and you need the communal avoda outside. And, and not, like, each one has its place, and each one is necessary, and each one is desirable. What's this? Kliakar. Okay. So I'm going to stop there. And we will continue, Hashem, whenever that is that we continue. I'm not exactly sure uh, when, but I guess I'll be in touch. So it's you're, probably you're September. Oh, so you're talking about September. Okay, thank you. So much. I think yeah. so. If there's a change, I will let people know. But. Did you forward this one to me? Because I yeah. How, how, how long have you been doing this year? I think I started in March of 2012. Something like that. And it's you have them all. Does that sound on, right? This is this is my second notebook, so I'd have to go back to the first notebook. I think so. I moved here in July of 2011, and I'm pretty sure I started or January maybe even. I might have started even in January. It's been about two years because you took two and a half years. Year. Yeah, year but it's now. right. But I was away for one whole summer. Okay. And okay. So um, and where where would I find the uh, tapes if I started at the beginning? SarahLipman.com. And I could find them all. Yeah, you have to Somewhere. look for the link that says Sheer Archive, and some buttons work better than others, and yeah, Bossy's making a new website for it, but it's not finished. Okay. So okay. But you can go to there, and you, you oh, choose, like... Ago, sorry, I, I, well, I attended, I don't know, maybe six, seven. Right. So the Oraliyahu, I just, I haven't put them online anywhere yet. Oraliyahu, I have, like, the first, let's say, 13 classes we went through. So if, if you email me, I'll send you private links to those classes. Well, which would be better to start with? I, thought I, I think it makes sense to do this one. The thing is, the first class in the series was not recorded. Oh. So it might be helpful to listen to the first class from the other series. Just the because it's one. the same introduction. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, that would be good. And then the second class is, and I think there was another one that got cut off in the middle, but that won't be such a big deal. But if you email me, just in case, because I might not remember to send it to you, then I can send you a link to that first class. Then I'll send you a link to that first class. You know, you're talking a lot about Rav Hirsch, and I know I've always found him very difficult to get into. That. Yeah, that's I think that's I one reason. Instead of, instead of right, I think there's, there's two reasons. One is that the language is dense. It's a very, yeah. he uses a very lofty vocabulary, and it's very poetic, which is beautiful, but it's not skimmable. You can't no. just, like, skim through a section and get the gist well, if I'm reading the Parsha, I just try right. to read Rav Look, we read that passage three times. Mm-hmm. Well, also, you read and it I the could first have kept time, going. and I thought, oh, okay, it's nice. And then he said, oh, well, this means this, this means this, means this. Right. And we talked about this, we talked about it. I'm like, right. oh. Right. <laughs> you know, it was a nice so sentence I've without said, all that. Right, exactly. It was a beautiful sentence without it. It was, it was referring back to some of these classes. That, that we've already learned. To. Right. right. Yeah, but I'm saying, she was saying there's so much more, so I'm thinking right. all the more so. If I, when I, that's probably why right. when I pick up Rav But I have the same thing. I've, I've said this before, which is that when I, let's say I'm preparing a shear on davening, and I know I want to do this first or something, Rav Hirsch is often the last source I look at. The reason for that is that if I read Rav Hirsch at the beginning, I find something beautiful. Sometimes I'll find something that really will help me straight at the surface level. Like he'll give a definition. Like tefillah is to, you know, do this and this. Like for definitions, that's a huge help. But if I first spend eight hours, you know, looking at the midrashim that are brought together on this topic, 
and the Chazals and the Gemaras and the Halachos, and then I go look at Rav Hirsch, I see Rav Hirsch in this new light. It's like through new glasses. And I can see how what he was doing was he wasn't just saying a nice philosophy that came out of his mind. He was presenting a philosophy of Torah that is one hundred... He was taking all of the Gemaras and all of the Rishonim and the Mepharshim and expressing them in terms of philosophy, well, in a language that f people who exactly, understand philosophy exactly. can receive. He was working with people of his time, trying to right. counteract. And it really is the people of our time, like but the language has the changed. Greek. Yeah, so they've started, yeah, maybe. They, I don't think he would agree. <laughs> as far as I could tell, wouldn't agree. But um, he definitely was speaking to the people of his time, and that was why he wrote. He wrote because the people of his time needed to hear it. They, they didn't understand what they had available to them, any more than we necessarily realize what we have in a reverse. So they've started, Feldheim has started reissuing some of Reverse's writings, retranslated into a more modern... Oh, have they? Yeah, they've started doing it. They, they lose a lot of that, like, poetic uplift. Like, his writings, like, lift you up if you do read them. They're best read out loud, which is, I suppose, how poetry is. I'm not much for poetry, normally. But um, reading it out it's loud, lyrical. You, it's That's lyrical, and it's uplifting, and it's... But, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier in, in small chunks, a paragraph That's or two at a time, time. and... The thing is, if you haven't seen all the sources, right. then you don't, you, you just get that it's like something beautiful. You don't see like, oh. See the allusions and references. That, and those allusions and references now, what he's done is he's kind of commented on them. By, just by expressing them, you understand those sources in a new light. You see the sources with, a fr with fresh eyes, even though all he's done is bring them and translate them. But by translating them, he made them something that your brain could hear, whereas the statement of the Chazal might have been harder to hear, or the Pasuk, may the arrangement of my prayers be katoris before you. It sounds nice. When he says it, walking through the arrangement of the service in the temple and correlating that with the arrangement of the prayers and culminating in the Ketores and that that's a, right, then you suddenly hear all of that source in a new way. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be awesome to have somebody Thank who gave a so share in, in Rehersh. Thank, Thank you. It's so good to see you, you back. See me for all the summer, I hope so. Uh, I'm hoping to give the Shabbos shear. I hope I'll continue the Shabbos shear for now. Yeah. Okay. So Wednesday is not I know. I know. Maybe you'll let us give you a ride back on Saturday's night, and then it would only be one way at least. I know, but it's a lot to go both ways then. I think is that a long distance, you know. It's a long way, even one My way. My doctor said eight years old is the limit. For what? To leave. And Excuse I can, you. Oh, well, now you need a new doctor. <laughs> you need an older doctor or something. <laughs> My paternal grandma passed away at 96. My, mom's so 96. my mother's mother was okay. 96. So what? And plenty of people live to be over 100. <laughs> I think you need an older doctor. 
I think no, I have a great doctor, doctor, great doctor, great doctor, but of this geriatric doctor. So, so oh. she's. Uh, that's worse. That's worse. I would expect the geriatric doctor shouldn't go around saying things no, no, like that. She, she, she <laughs> said, I am a very wealthy, I'm a very healthy. I do everything she wants aye, for me. Joanna, the limit is, and I said, oh, the limit is. That's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. 